Welcome to the Books and Travel podcast. I'm Jo Francis-Penn, thriller and dark fantasy author, bringing you escape and inspiration about unusual and fascinating places, as well as the deeper side of books and travel. You can find the episode show notes at booksandtravel.page, and if you enjoy thrillers set in international locations, download one of my ebooks for free at jfpen.com forward slash free. Hello, travellers. I'm Jo Francis Penn, and in today's interview, I'm talking to adventurer Alistair Humphreys about his walk through Spain in the footsteps of Laurie Lee. Now, I love talking to Al because he understands wanderlust and the need to balance escape with coming home. And we are alike in that way, but we are very different in our approaches to travel. Al values hardship and an aspect of risk in his adventures. And he talks about type two fun, where it's miserable and painful or uncomfortable along the way and only pleasurable when you've finished. I've done ultra marathons and uh, super long walks and all of that. So I understand that feeling. But for me and most of this show, (laughs) we are talking about type one fun, enjoying experiences, culture, and some of the more pleasurable aspects of travel, like having a gin and tonic at the end of a day. In this interview, we discuss why walking is such a great way to travel, how to open yourself up to surprise, even when traveling close to home, how travel gives you perspective, writing while traveling, plus book recommendations along the way. I hope you enjoy the interview. Alistair Humphreys is an adventurer, author and motivational speaker named as National Geographic Adventurer of the Year in 2012. He has cycled around the world, walked across India and the empty quarter desert, rode the Atlantic and run the Marathon des Sables, as well as going on many other micro adventures. His latest book is My Midsummer Morning, Rediscovering a Life of Adventure. Welcome to the show, Alistair. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's great to have you on. So this book is about your walk across Spain, and it's inspired by another book, As I Walked Out One Midsummer Morning by Laurie Lee. So why this trip and why do you love Lee so much? Um, I think those two questions are linked. I loved Laurie Lee's book, As I Walked Out One Midsummer Morning. I first read it as a student and I loved it because it was a beautifully written book, first of all. But Secondly, and specifically to me, it was also a fantastic adventure. It had all the all the things you want in a good adventure book. And it was really simple. It's such a simple idea. Um, and I've I've long since felt that the best adventures are simple but not easy. So it got me thinking this would be a lovely thing to go and do myself one day. Um, but it took me 15 years to actually get between reading it to actually getting around to doing the trip myself. And it's interesting because you said they're um, simple but not easy. And of course, you've done so many like incredible things that people would find so difficult. And yet walking across Spain, well, you know, I've done some walking across Spain. It's not that hard. So what made this trip not easy? <laughs> um, I, I've done quite a lot of big traditional expedition type trips. And like any job, if you do something a lot, you get good at it. And then you get familiar with it. And then even though you're in the world of adventure, you end up finding yourself stuck in a rut, (laughs) just like like many people do. And 
So I realized that I wanted to start trying to look a bit differently about at how I considered adventure and and travel. And the, the the adventurous part of this trip for me was going to be the the musical part. I can't play the violin. I'm completely unmusical. Um, the prospect of having to play in public in front of people terrifies me. And uh, I have no talent at all. So I thought if I could combine those scary, frightening, risky, vulnerable activities um, into this trip, then that would become a proper adventure. So the twist between, say, my walk through Spain and your walk through Spain, which were, as you say, very similar. The difference was I had no money, no credit card and only my violin to uh, to to earn the money I needed. And that added this piquancy, this sort of spice of of terror to each day of having to play to earn my next meal. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which is is kind of crazy. And in the book, you do talk about learning, which is also interesting. But I want to ask you about fear, because for many people, it would, they would be, you know, much more afraid of some of the other things you've done. And yet you talked there about the terror of playing the violin. So is fear an important part of adventure? I th- Yes, I think fear, Fear, the spectrum of fear, certainly, I think, is an important part of adventure. And I think it it also merges over into um, uncertainty, not knowing exactly how the script is going to play out, um, surprise. All of those similar aspects of those sort of things are all really important to me in a trip. So when I try and plan any any journey, I try and do as little planning as I'm comfortable with. I generally plan enough so that it will vaguely hopefully succeed and I won't die um but then I tr- and, and plan enough to give myself the confidence to get out the front door and begin but I try and make myself be brave enough to leave the rest up to spontaneity and serendipity and all the things that really make a a, a trip exciting that perhaps turn a holiday into an adventure perhaps Mm, No, I get that. And then I wanted to ask you about walking. So what is different about your walking trip? So you walked across India um, and you have a wonderful book about that as well. But but you've also, say, cycled around the world or run or road. So what's different about the world when you walk? What's different about travel? The key thing of walking is that it's simple. (laughs) Again, it's very simple. You don't need much gear. You don't need to be an expert um, pretty much you know, most of us can walk and therefore you are qualified to go on a walking journey. Um, it's it's very slow and generally the slower a trip is, the more you notice and the more memorable and the more rewarding it is. And also, and this is perhaps where I become a bit of a weirdo with my answer, walking is also extremely painful, which I quite like. So I, was, I, what I like is that it's slow and it's simple, which perhaps you'll agree with, and then it's miserable and I like misery which is perhaps where you and I diverge in the wood. <laughs> Absolutely. And actually, I was reflecting on some of your painful journeys. <laughs> so it, you, I have heard you talk about type one and type two fun. Could you maybe talk about that again? Because I think that's important. <laughs> yes, type one fun is, is a good description for anything in life that you do that is simply fun, like eating cheese or drinking gin or whatever you whatever you enjoy uh type two fun is doing stuff that is miserable painful uncomfortable um horrible and uh, people who've done say long distance hiking challenges or marathons will be familiar with this you're doing something painful purely in the hope that at some 
unknown point in an unknowable future, this will somehow retrospectively make you happy. That's type two fun. <laughs> and have you, do you always find type two fun? Like when you've done your adventures, do you find type two fun? Yeah, my adventures are entirely based around type two fun. If ever I'm having type one fun, in fact, I feel guilty that I'm on holiday when I'm supposed to be on an adventure. And I can't call myself an adventurer if I'm having fun, because then I'm just a bloke on holiday, <laughs> which isn't what I'm aspiring to at all. Well, it's interesting because on this show, um, I welcome listeners with Hello Travellers. And that's kind of who we're talking to here. So people who are travellers, what would you say is the difference between a holiday and travel and adventure? Oh, I think a lot of the difference is down to snobbery. Uh, <laughs> for example, people don't like to be called tourists, they like to be called backpackers. And, and then people don't like to be called backpackers, they like to be called explorers, whereas essentially we're all just traipsing around the same old places. Um, so I think there's snobbery. I think also perhaps it comes down to the levels of preparation and organisation and, and travelling is more about opening yourself up to surprise um, and uncertainty. And uh, I suppose also the independent side of it as well. I think if you take everything under your own control and, and the whole thing becomes more independent, that to me feels more of an adventure than a than an organised holiday. Mm. No, that's interesting. So um, inter I also read in, in the book, you say you're cursed with Fernvi and uh, a German word, and you can probably pronounce it better. But what, what do you mean by that? And how do you balance that with everyday life? <laughs> yeah, my German GCSE level expertise would call it Fernweh, which is a, a yearning for far off places. And it's it's quite similar to wanderlust, which is a familiar word now, of, you know, wanting to wander, wanting to travel. And Fernweh is slightly different in that it's more of the yearning just to be far away. And I've always had that. So when I'm off around the other side of the world, I'm often yearning for England and home. And then when I'm back in England, I'm dreaming of different places. So I think I just have this this appetite for the other just to be somewhere that I'm not, which is exciting and leads to a fun uh, life, but it's also quite annoying. And I'm sh not sure it's the, the uh, route to eternal happiness. But do, do you think we're born that way? Because I, I, or is it something we're, we're raised with? I mean, my mum took me to school in Africa when I was like eight. And I sort of think back to that as when I felt this way. But you know, you you tell people where you come from because it's quite a different background to me. Yeah, I think I think um, I don't think it's necessarily um, born in us all. I don't think I was born to run. I I wasn't particularly interested in travel or adventure until I left school really at 18 I grew up in a little village in Yorkshire and I lived there all my life my mum and dad are still in the same house uh, I've always lived in so so that was a very structured home type environment and it was only really when I finished school and before university I went to to spend some time in Africa that just got me opened up my eyes really and it showed me that there were places even more wild and exciting than the Yorkshire Hills, and uh, and that then 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 I just thought, wow, if there's this place, what else is there? And of course, the more you travel, the more you realise how little you've seen and how little you'll ever see, and that then becomes, or, or for me, has become a very um, compulsive and addictive part of my whole adult life. Mm. 
I think the word addiction does. <laughs> there's always more. That's that's the thing, and we there's never enough. Um, well, we we can never do it all in one lifetime, I guess. Um, yes, which is interesting. I was going to ask you, like, why you've done a lot of trips that you haven't written about. So when do you choose a trip to write about, and when do you just do a trip for a trip's sake? Uh, I think I would always try to. You know, I do always try, first of all, to think of the trip itself. So I try and think of a trip that I want to do simply because I want to do it. And I always um, ask myself a question, would I do this trip if nobody ever found out about it? And I, I started asking that trip, sorry, I started asking that question quite a few years ago when I, when I was in the world of more dangerous expeditions as a way to try and make sure I was doing a trip because I actually wanted to do it, not just because I wanted to do something really crazy and dangerous just to show off about it. So I think that was a good check and balance for me. Um, but I also now writing and is, is a part of my job, really. So I also have to try and think of a story that will be of interest to other people, which is really the reason I've never done a big bike trip after cycling around the world. I don't really think I can write a book about cycling now I've cycled around the world so I do think a bit about the story side of things and then I go off and do the trip and really whether I write about it afterwards depends on how exciting the trip was to be honest so um, I came back from the Spain trip and I'd really enjoyed it and it was but unfortunately from a book point of view nothing really bad happened <laughs> there were no <laughs> There were no disasters. I didn't get mugged. I never nearly died. All the good stuff you need in a juicy travel book. So I, when I first wrote the book, it was actually quite boring because nothing really happened. And that's the reason some of my other trips haven't turned into books, because they were fun, but nothing really happened. Well, it's interesting you say that because, of course, a lot of um, well, a lot of people I'm talking to on 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 this show uh, would wouldn't see that they'd see the whole experience as exciting. So, do you think there's a difference between a travel book written by an adventurer and a memoir, uh, a travel memoir? <sighs> I I don't know. Is my answer to that? Um, I don't know. I, th I suppose there's a difference between a strictly chronological advent book, which like which a lot of books like, say, some adventure climbing Everest tend to be. Is I went here and this happened, this happened and this happened. And then the more personal memoirs, a bit more um, reflective on other aspects rather than just the sheer chronology. Mm. And I think this book does have a lot of aspects of memoir in, which we're, which we're going to uh, come back to. But you also take a lot of pictures and you make short films. You you make wonderful films about your travels. So I wonder, do you think about your travels differently when you write to when you take pictures or, or do film? Does it change your experience of travelling? The, the single best thing about writing about your travels is that it doesn't have to interfere with the travel itself at all I and mean, if you have a if you have a brilliant memory you in fact have to do absolutely nothing at all except go do the trip then come home and write about it but I ever since I began traveling even long before I began writing I've always written diaries on my trips partly for just fun and partly to figure out my brain partly because I'm lonely and I've got no friends to talk to in the evening so I've always written diaries um, but that really is very non-invasive on a trip as soon as you start photographing it and particularly once you start filming that completely and utterly changes the dynamic of a trip and filming in particular is a hugely 
invasive part of the trip. And really, you can either go on a trip in order for the trip to be the priority and you film a bit, or the film is the priority and you you have to accept the compromises to your journey. So that that's an inevitable part of trying to film journeys. Um, there was a my trip across the empty quarter desert I did a few years ago was the very first the first time when I consciously said the priority of this expedition is the film and that that was the first time I'd ever felt this way uh, the Spain the Spain journey my priority was the journey but I did spend a heck of a lot of time filming myself walking back and forwards and playing my violin very badly in plazas as well <laughs> is that a film out yet not yet it's going to come out with the book so I, I turned it into a 20-minute film, um, and I really enjoyed the... Pro- I, so another thing to add, I suppose, is that I really enjoy the aspects of filming and photographing, and in many ways they add to the experience for me. So I, I really love make filming, and I love making films. Um, and then, yeah, the film is done. That's going to come out just when the book does. It's, it's very different to the book, though. Uh, which is another benefit of writing is that you can mould it to be whatever you want it to be later, whereas the film is just whatever you filmed, you have to shuffle those jigsaw pieces around and that's all you've got. Yeah, and it's interesting you say that because part of, and I think there's a lot of memoir in this, as I said, um, how much of writing a book like this is it is it true? So that the idea of truth, I think, is fascinating when it comes to travel writing because a lot of it is editing. Like you talked about shuffling your video around, it didn't. Twenty minutes does not encapsulate the month you spent walking, and in the same way, you edited your memory to go into the book. So, what what are your thoughts on truth in writing this type of book? Oh, I th- I find this a really fascinating thing because. No book I've written would stand up as a a legal document in a court of law because I everything I everything in my books is true. Everything happened, but I cut it up and chop it up and shuffle it around in order to try to make it more true. Um, and I think there's a difference between just a, a literal chronology versus trying to get at a a deeper truth of how this whole journey made you feel the whole the whole impression of it is a a broader level of truth so this spain book there's quite a lot of chopping and changing and i've taken a bit that happened in that week and shoved it to this bit just because it gets across the point i'm trying to make in my book a bit better it's like morcom and wise playing the piano they say they have a all the right notes, uh, although not necessarily in the right order. That's absolutely true. Now, I want to circle back. You said um, about, you know, writing a journal when you got lonely. And uh, another quote from the book, uh, when I plan journeys, it is the prospect of empty landscapes that appeals most. Yet when I return from an adventure, it is the human interactions that linger in the memory. So I wanted to ask you about the difference between travelling alone and doing travels with companions. I roughly these days try to alternate the two types of trip between by myself or with someone else. And I do that consciously because it's a very different experience. Um, Travelling with someone else is usually more fun. It's easier. You can share the load physically and mentally in terms of sorting out problems and things. You have an easy companion 
um, and it's generally more fun. It can be more irritating as well, um, especially on a long trip. But it's it's and also you have someone to share the memories with later on in life. Um, trips by myself, I find to be more challenging, um, more daunting, um, but also blissfully selfish as well. You can stop and eat jam whenever you want or do whatever you want. So, so that's simpler. But I think overall, I think that a journey with someone else is more fun and a journey by myself is more challenging and rewarding in the long run so depending on what i'm trying to get out of the trip helps me decide whether it's one i want to do by myself or with with a friend Mm. and i know you talk about this and i'll talk about this with other people but the idea of gender with um adventure is a difficult one because um i've traveled alone um in in the middle east but for example i would wear a a wedding ring and um you know i'd cover my head and wear certain clothes um what do you think the impact of gender is with with travel Uh, i think that a lot of the time there's a real advantage of being a woman in that you come across as less of a threat and often more of a curiosity and i think then you end up getting uh warm welcome insights into into communities and cultures um, and specifically a deep a deeper insight into how the the women in a part of the world live so i think there's there are definite benefits to it and and there are a lot of women now solo women doing all sorts of exciting crazy adventures who are brilliant role models um the flip side unfortunately is that there's no doubt that being a man is simpler and safer um all across the world in terms of safety in terms of not being hassled by irritating men and that's a unfortunate reality that i can only apologize for on behalf of my gender (laughs) Uh, well and you know I would say that I think you're right and people are people and you know you meet wonderful people and terrible people everywhere so you know I don't think it's that different necessarily um wherever you go um so I did want to ask about um your micro adventures and also you talk about it in this Midsummer Morning book which is living adventurously is an attitude uh because you have a, a family now and young kids and so your adventures are quite different so for those people who don't want to go on a sort of, um, you know, type two adventure, how can people live more adventurously close to home? Well, I think the important thing to do when trying to decide about an adventure is try and work out why you want to do it. Why are you drawn to this? And this was what originally occurred to me years ago now was the the realisation that there are far more people who read books about climbing big mountains than there are people who actually go out and climb big mountains and so I started thinking about why people read these things what why are people drawn to this adventure and they find it exciting but why are they not doing it themselves and the answer is often real life you know, we do, most people don't have the time or the money or the expertise or the uh, or the lunacy to go off and climb huge mountains for example so i started trying to work out what i enjoyed particularly from adventures and then seeing if i could apply that to normal life living in normal old england and for me adventure is about going places that's new spending time out in wild places the simplicity the solitude often an element of 
physical challenge and remoteness to it. And and I've tried to find those things around Britain. But for for other people, adventure might be different. For example, it could be adventure is standing up and busking in order to earn your next meal. And if that feels adventurous to you, then you should be able to apply it wherever you happen to live. And that's that's how I then one of the reasons I ended up doing this trip was this amalgamation of big adventures, micro adventures, and just trying to think of the the attitude I try to live adventurously with all kind of led towards going up and stand, go and stand in a plaza and play the violin and see, see if you dare do that. Mm. And what about seeing things in a new way? So for example, you mentioned that normal old England um, and for many people, uh, you know, wherever they live is is their normality, even though many of the listeners might think England's very exciting. <laughs> um, but how do we, you know, how do we see where we live in a new way in order to have adventures closer to home? One thing I really noticed when I was cycling around the world was that the further I went from home, the more exotic I became. So you disappear off to Tanzania because you want to see the Maasai because they seem very exotic and you've seen them on tv and it looks fascinating and then you get there and they're all just like hey we're just Maasai normal dudes and you however are extra extraordinary strange weird exciting english guy um and and that realization that everyone thinks where they live is normal and all travelers find other places exciting was the reason that when i got home from cycling around the world one of the first things i did was buy myself the lonely planet guidebook to britain and the lonely planet guidebook to london just so i could try and make myself behave like a traveler wherever i am to try and do the things you do when you're traveling you know being curious talking to people going to interesting spots taking detours trying to make myself do all those sort of things in in normal life i think help build up this attitude I have of just trying to always be exploring and always be looking for adventure wherever I am and whenever whenever the opportunity arises. And you've just reminded me of you did you walked around the M25 didn't you? I did walk a lap of London around the M25 which is this big horrible boring circular road around the city which well motorway huge motor, motorway yeah, <laughs> huge motorway but but the point is that every big city in the world has that equivalent and it's it's one that just fills people with dread rather than excitement and i walked a lap of that specifically to see if i could find adventure in somewhere as mundane as suburban london and i did you know it was um i found pockets of beauty in between the ugly places i met good kind people you know a family uh, took me in for the night um just as would happen say in kyrgyzstan or patagonia um and it was a a genuine adventure just on a very micro scale Mm. Now, I want to ask you about the sort of the future of adventure, because as we're living right now, uh, there's a lot of talk of the environment and, you know, whether we ethically should be flying to Kyrgyzstan or wherever, Patagonia. Um, So what are your thoughts on the environment and, I guess, eco travel and how we can do things in a responsible way and yet still fulfill our need to, to get out there? I spent years desperately trying to fly to as many exciting places around the world as possible and loving jumping on planes and disappearing off around the world. And that um, made me 
well, it showed me many places that made me fall very deeply in love with the world's wild places. Um, and I had no guilt about that at all. Gradually, I started to feel a bit guilty, the realisation that flying is terrible for the planet that I was loving. But I pretty much ignored my guilt for a bit, bit longer until it really got to a point where I was thinking the world and the wild places are very special to me. They're getting destroyed and I am contributing to that destruction. And that's, uh, and that's also changed my approach now to travel myself and making me try and just explore closer to home. So this linked with micro adventures is making me make much more of an effort to not fly and to do my adventuring closer to home. Uh, and there's no, there's no, um, there's no alternative to that. If you love the world, uh, and you are flying around it, then you are being, uh, quite a, contradiction um and it's not easy but that's the simple truth and i'm trying to make myself cut down on my flying um and making some other changes in my lifestyle um to to try and help fix things on a tiny level mm. no i agree and it's i think it's a an interesting challenge do you think um going by boat is any better so for example um you know my half my family is in new zealand so it's pretty hard to get to new zealand the boat takes quite a while <laughs> Fence of flying, but I am considering it. Do you think going by boat is is better or not? Actually, yeah, it's definitely better. Um, definitely better environmentally for sure. Um, uh, it's also quite an interesting experience in itself. You could write a book by the time you get there. I I crossed the Pacific by cargo ship once, and uh, the, the novelty of the middle of the Pacific did start to wear off. Let's put it that way. <laughs> Compared to, say, being in a rowing boat or a sailing boat where you're always busy, you're essentially just a passenger. You could also go by train. That would be a heck of an adventure. There would definitely have to be a boat involved at some point. At some point, yes. <laughs> a rowing boat, Joe. <laughs> yeah, no, remember, I like my pleasure better than you. <laughs> But um, I wanted to ask about other books. Um, you're a huge reader and you share books um, on your blog and also on your Instagram channel. And you've got a wonderful writing shed and you often talk about books. Um, so what are some of your other book recommendations for people interested in travel? I know that's hard, but give us a couple. That is hard. But I was thinking specifically to to the audience I'm anticipating of this podcast I've chosen to get veer away from the hardcore expeditions let's all sort chop off our fingers type ones <laughs> um two books that are a, a brilliant books beautifully written but also are really good films for any uh, people who prefer things that way one would be tracks by robin davidson um about a journey through the australian outback by camel um and then wild by cheryl Strayed. both are beautiful books written by women it's good for your earlier question and great and and really good films and then um travels with charlie by john steinbeck because one i love steinbeck as a writer and two this is him crossing over into being a, a traveler as well traveling around america with his dog charlie engaging in conversations and then i couldn't resist a bit of um a bit of expedition misery and pain but also beautiful writing is the worst journey in the world by cherry apsley garrard which is the account of um well the the wide account of captain scott's ultimately disastrous expedition to the south pole that's a that's a fantastic bit, piece of travel writing 
Mm, brilliant. I love all those. And yeah, tracks uh, and Bruce Chatwin, obviously Songline sent me off to Australia. Those were the books I <laughs> that made oh, me go to brilliant. Australia back in the year 2000. Um, okay, so where can people find you and your books and everything you do online? Um, well, my name, Alistair Humphreys, in Google will take you to my website and to Amazon. Um, I'm Al underscore Humphreys on social media. And I put a lot of films on uh, YouTube under the name of Alistair Humphreys as well. Brilliant. Well, thanks so much for your time, Alistair. That was great. Pleasure. Thank you for having me. Thanks for joining me today on the Books and Travel podcast. I hope you found a moment of escape. You can find the episode show notes at booksandtravel.page And if you enjoy thrillers set in international locations, download one of my books for free at jfpen.com forward slash free. Happy travels until next time.